Welcome back to another episode of The Shadows of Jesus. Today we're going to be in Exodus. Exodus. Who wrote it? When did it take place? What's it about? Well, um, the author, according to Jewish and Christian tradition, is Moses, who wrote the book of Exodus at the command of God. Um, there's debate on when the book was written. It could be um, an early date about the 18th dynasty of the Egyptian um, history, or it could be the, the late date of the 19th dynasty. No clue which one's right, which one's wrong. And then what it's about. It's primarily about God, but it also shows us human character. Um, and so we see a lot about Moses and God's people. But yeah, so we, we broke down kind of the chapters as God hears his people, God speaks to Moses, God redeems his people, he leads his people, he instructs his people. So let's look at the first 15 chapters. Mm-hmm. All right, so so Bill, chapters one and two, God hears. Yeah. So how do we get here? At the end of Genesis, what happened? Right, so we see Joseph and all, those, all the people, 70 folks coming down into Egypt. They're fruitful and multiply, and that's actually um, at the start of the of Exodus. You see, uh, it talks about the names of those people, and that was the Hebrew. That's where they got the Hebrew name for this book. We call it Exodus. You know, leaving, getting out from the the Greek. Uh, but they they're fruitful and they multiply. They become a great nation. God is it's on the way of fulfilling this promise that He made to Abraham. Yeah, how many years were between Joseph and Moses? So four hundred. Someone asked me yesterday. They said, "Is that foreshadowing the four hundred years between the Old Testament and Jesus?" Good question. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, God's I'm, poetic like that, so <laughs> I, I can see that for sure. Yeah, so they're becoming a nation within a nation. Um, they're fulfilling the cultural mandate of Genesis one twenty eight, being fruitful and multiplying. They're fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham um, and to to Isaac and to Jacob. So they're becoming a great nation. There's only, there's only one problem. They're a nation within a nation. Right. Yeah. So they're they're enslaved. Um, so they're enslaved. Things aren't going well. But Bill, do you, if you have your Bible, would you read chapter two verses twenty three through twenty five? This is such a great piece of this first section and in light of their slavery we read this yeah so this is exodus 2 23 through 25 during those many days the king of egypt died and the people of israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help their cry for rescue from slavery came up to god and god heard their groaning and god remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, God hears them. He's gonna. He remembers them. So, um, from here, you know, in chapters one and two, we were introduced to the main character, mm-hmm. Moses. We see um, his kind of salvation, where he's saved instead of being killed. Pharaoh wants to kill all the firstborn sons. Mm-hmm. Something that I thought was interesting I've never seen before is he's put in a basket and he floats down the river. And how that's really paralleling um, Noah, Noah the in the ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I've, I've never same imagery, never seen there. that before. So, so I was cool to to realize. But something that you pointed out earlier today, just kind of beginning in Exodus, are the stories of the women. So, I mean, we yeah. could focus so much on Moses and Aaron, but there's such a role of women throughout this book. So, why don't you tell us a little yeah, bit? About yeah, that? yeah. So, when you it starts out with the the midwives, 
And while they're ordered to, you know, to kill these babies, they, uh, they stand up to Pharaoh. They're courageous. There's a theme there of these women standing up courageously. So the midwives do that. Moses's mother also stands up uh, and says, I'm not going to kill this baby. And then um, uh, you go on from there, and uh, there's the, the princess who says, hey, I'm going to take this baby and, and marry him. The future prophetess is right yeah. there with her, and she has the guts to speak up to the princess and say, hey, let me find someone to take care of this baby for you. And then it keeps on going even when uh, we'll meet Zipporah, Moses' wife, later on, and she will save Moses' life. So there's a theme of these heroic, courageous women that God is showing us in this. Yeah, I love, I love pointing that out. Well, in chapter 3, we see the burning bush. Mm-hmm. Do you know where the burning bush takes place? The mountain of God. Yeah, it says this mountain, but... Mount Sinai. Horeb. So I, I love that, that when Moses journeys back to Mount Sinai, he's been there before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at this moment, we talked about the significant of, significance of names. And so, you know, like mm-hmm. um, Isaac meaning laughter. Um, we see the, the name of God, how he sees. Um, we see that he hears. Yeah. Different things. So, so names are important. Well, when he says, who do I tell him sent me? Yeah. God says, tell them I am has sent you. Is there anything significant to the name I am? Yeah. I mean, this is God revealing himself and revealing his character, uh, his nature through this. And, um, you know, if you, if you look into this a little bit, they actually refer to this when, when you see it in the Hebrew script that it's four consonants, they call it the tetragrammaton, (laughs) which sounds like something from the transformers. Uh, but when you look at what it means and he's talking about that, it, uh, I think there's a range of meanings um, along the lines of, first of all, I exist independently of everything else. I am. And uh, then everything depends on me. I'm the uncreated creator. Uh, I never change. I'm eternal. And then also I think in, in the context of what he's saying to, to Moses and what he's doing with the, the people of Israel, he's telling them, I am present with you. Yeah, I love that because the presence is different than just an omnipresence. It's not right. just this general God's everywhere. It's yeah. it's this activeness that yeah. He's there. Um, I, I wrote in the the side note of my Bible here um, that it's more than omnipresence. This is God's active, powerful presence to deliver. Mm-hmm. And I love in Matthew twenty eight um, in the Great Commission, verse twenty, when Jesus is talking about it. Same statement, I will be with you. And to yeah. know that like his, his with us as the church is, is an active and powerful presence to deliver us. That's right. That's it. Yeah. And that's, that's crucial. I, that stood out to me. And I, I just thought about, you know, Moses was, he was, you know, kind of wrestling with God's call. And, and God is saying to him, I will be with you. It's the same thing he says later to Joshua. Yeah. When he's sending him in, I will be with you. And it's the same thing that he's saying to us as we're trying to make it through the day <laughs> yeah. that we can wake up and, and know that God is saying, I will be with you. Yeah. Uh, I love that about the name I am. Mm-hmm. So for me, whenever I read scripture, we, we've talked about there's a difference between reading it for quality versus quantity. Not to say this isn't quality time with God, but sometimes you get into a book and you're 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 getting through five verses and you've got so many questions and verses and this word means this and, it, and it, you, it's really deep dive and it takes time. Mm-hmm. Versus we're reading three chapters a day mm-hmm. on average, and so we're going through more. Well, for me, when I'm reading the Bible in larger chunks. Not every day do I have an aha moment. Not every day do I go, man, I've never saw this before. But it's not uncommon for these seasons for God to give me mile markers. 
Mm-hmm. And so with what I'm dealing with now, and I love that when, when you're reading through scripture, God knows what you're going to deal with. I just feel like the reminder of the inadequacies of man as Moses has so many excuses, mm-hmm. um, but the adequacy of God. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's just been so good in, in church leadership, but just in life in general, I can't, he can, mm-hmm. I am inadequate. God is adequate and he is with us. He's with us. Yeah. So that's yeah. been, that's been good for me. Well, mm. in, in chapter four, we, we see the excuses. Um, but there's this crazy moment. We had a question about this in verses 24 through 26. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll read and then I'll let you try to answer it. Uh. All right. So it says at a lodging place on the way to, to the Lord, uh, met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zephora took a flint and who's Zephora? That's his wife. His wife took a flint, like a sharp knife, <laughs> cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses's feet with it and said, surely you are a bride, bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Yeah. So at the lodging place on the way to the Lord, um, met him and sought to put him to death. So what, what's happening in these verses? Yeah. I got a big question mark <laughs> written in my Bible by it. Uh-huh. Yes, it is a, a strange moment in this. It just, in the middle of everything, all, he almost gets killed by God. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it says he hadn't circumcised his son. And Moses is, he's representing, he's going to deliver the people of Israel, the people that have, God has made a covenant with. And we remember back to Abraham that circumcision was that essential sign of the covenant. And so he hadn't done that yet. Yeah. So he, and so apparently God took that so seriously that he was going to just, he was going to kill him right then and there. Yeah. It is jarring to read this little moment in there, but then Zavora steps in and does the circumcision, saves his life and has your bridegroom of blood. It's a haunting phrase. Yeah. So any other thoughts? We yeah. Need? I, th- I think it's interesting that, you know, here he is and he's supposed to lead God's people, but he's not even leading his own house. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's an interesting thing. And for me personally, thinking through as a leader in the church, yeah. you know, like how important is it for us to lead our own house well before we starts, try to lead other people? Yeah, yeah it starts so, there. Yeah, that's something that stood out to me. Um, anything else in the, the first four chapters? First four chapters. Uh, I think those are the, I think we hit the main, main parts for that. Uh, it's, you know, definitely... Moses, it's, it's Moses's call. And uh, that's a big thing to, to be thinking about when you read that and, and how Moses has some doubts. How's this going to happen? And, and that God's continuing to say, it's look to me, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah, the presence of the Lord is such a huge theme throughout the whole book. Mm-hmm. So in chapters five through 15, God delivers in seven verse three, chapter seven, verse three, it says a, a startling statement as God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And so that leads to a, to a pretty big question. Like, what do we do with that? We're going to come back to that. Okay. So after this, we get to the plagues. How many mm-hmm. plagues are there? Ten plagues. Ten plagues. And what's interesting about the plagues, Bill? Well, it's interesting that there's a connection between the Egyptian gods, and it's as if in most cases that things that were very familiar to the Egyptians about what their gods were responsible for, that that these plagues were directly confronting that. Yeah, so you have the Nile turning into blood. And so this is opposing the guardian of the Nile, mm-hmm. the spirit of the Nile, and the bloodstream of the Nile. 
or the, um, like with the frogs, that opposes the Egyptian god of resurrection who's depicted in the form of a frog. Yeah, so their, their god of, res- of resurrection looks like a frog. Maybe Kermit <laughs> sipping some tea. No clue. <laughs> Gnats and flies. I couldn't find any Egyptian gods on this, but I thought about flies. I was like, Lord of the Flies. I read that in high school. There's, that's evil. There you Human go. nature. <laughs> Something in that. That'll jack you up. Yep. The cattle that poses the mother goddess who's in the form of the cow. Uh, or the bull god, the symbol of fertility. There are boils that oppose the god of medicine. And hail, the sky goddess. And you got a few others in there. Yeah, locust opposing the protector of the crops. Darkness opposing all these different sun gods. Mm-hmm. And the big one, the death of the firstborn, two things. So one, it opposes, you want to give a stab at that name? Uh, Osiris. Osiris. I was going to say Osiris, so I'll, I'll take your, your naming for it. I learned it from um, a G.I. Joe episode back in the day where they traveled to, to Egypt. Right. <laughs> it was really weird. He's the giver of life. Yeah. But it also opposes the it, Yeah, the Pharaoh. Yeah, because they thought him to have deity. So this is going right. to oppose the deity of Pharaoh. All right, so with this, um, as we've seen the plagues unfold, they're – there's like this hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And, and he, like, he keeps deceiving Moses. He's like, I'll let you go. Go plead for me. And he goes like, God, please save him. Then he comes back. He's like, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm not going to let you go. But there's this hardening of the heart raises probably one of the biggest questions people are going to have throughout all of Exodus. Mm-hmm. And what do we do with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? Why would God do that? How could God then hold someone responsible for their actions if he caused their hearts to become hardened? I mean, this kind of seems jacked up. So, Bill, if someone asks you, what do we do with this? What are you going to say? Yeah, classic. I mean, it's a classic question. I think, first of all, let's, let's just look back at the text. And you do see all these different examples where it says God promises that he's going to harden his heart. And then it also says Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And then we see again, his heart references that his heart was hardened. And then finally that God hardened his heart. So you see those different, four different ways that it talks about it. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that in verse, in chapter seven, verse three, he says, I will mm-hmm. harden Pharaoh's heart. And that, that will is a future tense. Mm-hmm. So it means at a future time, God will harden his heart, but it's not an immediate time. Yeah. So at first, before God does anything, we see him hardening his own heart. And so it, God wasn't hardening his heart for the first time. He was hardening a heart that was already hard. Yeah. And Pharaoh was wicked. Yeah. I mean, he had instituted, you know, he had all the, I want all these babies killed. Yeah. He was an oppressor. He had this entire nation enslaved, you know, incredible racism in that. Uh, so he wasn't a good person. And, and I think when you look at this question, you always have to put it back in the bigger context of what do we know about, you know, the story of God and the story of humanity that... Adam and Eve rebelled, and so everyone since then is born under the curse, is born in, in Ephesians 2, like Paul says, as a child of wrath. Yeah. And so, so Pharaoh was under God's judgment already, um, and he had certainly been doing lots of terrible things. He's not a good guy. Yeah. Um, and then it does, but in the, this text just it says God hardened his heart. And so that's where, what do we do with, with that? Um, and, and I think you might, you know, touch on this too. If Paul talks about this specifically in Romans nine, uh, it jumped out at me and, and I'll, if you look in Romans nine, uh, it's 14 through 24, <clears throat> you can just, this is just something for all of us to wrestle with. It says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, 
I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Yeah, that's so I think what's interesting with that is as you're reading that, is who does God reveal himself to be? I am. Mm-hmm. Which means God's not someone we're creating. We're not sitting there on a whiteboard and being like, what should God be like? Um, but we're discovering him. And so as we discover God, and that shows that he's knowable, which is good, and he's revealed himself through it, to us through his word, so he's made a way for us to know him. What a yeah. gift. But as we do so, we're doing so as finite beings, mm-hmm. trying to wrestle with and understand God who is infinite. And so one, we're limited in that we're finite, but two, we're also we're also coming at this discovery with sin in our lives, mm-hmm. um, a sin nature that God redeems and restores, but, but sin, which means when we get to a part about God that we don't like as we're discovering it mm-hmm. and like, I don't like that. We've got two choices. Like either we can say God needs to change or we could realize that our jadedness towards what we've discovered is a result of our sin. And uh-huh. so our hard hearts, we're more like Pharaoh than we'd like to admit. Yeah. Our hard hearts cause, and our sinfulness causes a jaded view of God when he reveals himself to be who he is, which is always perfect, always good, always yeah. holy. We know he's good. That's the thing you got. If you always start out, God is holy, which means he always does what is good and right and perfect. And then we kind of start to learn these other things. And sometimes they're just paradoxes. Uh, I mean, how does the Trinity work? How does the incarnation work? It blows our human minds. How does this idea that God is totally sovereign um, and yet our choices matter? Yeah. And that, and the Bible tells us that they're both are true at the same time. Yeah. That's uh, a paradox. A paradox. Seemingly contradictory, but then in the end it's not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so for me, I can, I'm beginning to wrap my mind around this. I, I can't, say I have my mind fully wrapped around it, but I, I get it. So one is, is God is holy, which I love the comparison to the sun, like the sun's good, but if you get too close, it's dangerous. Yeah. And so, so we know God's good, but we also know that part of that goodness is seen in his justice. And so the penalty of sin is death, which means on Pharaoh's own, um, he deserves death. Mm-hmm. And so if God just wiped him out, if God just wiped out the nation of Egypt like he did Sodom, he would have been just in doing so. But he chooses not to. um, And so why doesn't he? Because he has a purpose. And the purpose is for his glory. Yeah. And so I said, I I understand this philosophically as far as like the logic of it goes. It's hard for me to look at my mind around. But what we see in Romans 9 is there's something um, when that when we look at people, you either receive justice or mercy, but no one receives injustice. So the question like, that's not fair that God would harden his heart. It's like, no, no, no. His heart was already hardened on his own. Mm -hmm. And, and God continued to harden his heart for a greater purpose, his glory. But Pharaoh receives justice. Mm -hmm. Others receive mercy, but no one receives injustice. Mm -hmm. And what it seems like in Romans 9, as Paul continues on, is that there's something about 
those of us who have received mercy doing so against the backdrop of justice, what, seeing what we truly deserved, that against mercy against the backdrop of justice enables us to then glorify God as he deserves. Mm-hmm. And that there's something about that, that we could never give God the glory he deserves unless we fully understood the depths of what we 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 yeah. should receive. Yeah. And so, and like I said, I, I'm struggling, but like, how does that make sense? But I, that's what it seems to be. It's like, there's something about it, but it's ultimately for his glory, God's glory. Yeah. And but I he's think, not, he's not unjust. He's not unfair. Right. And the other thing that this is, when you talk about hardened hearts, this is a moment for the gospel right here, because we know that we're, we start out all of us with hard hearts. Yeah. And I was, you know, you think about Ezekiel 36, 26, where this incredible promise is made. It says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone mm-hmm. from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And that's that's what God does in his mercy for people with hardened hearts like us. And you see that when uh, Lydia becomes a believer in uh, Philippi in the book of Acts, and it says God opened her heart. Yeah. So the same God that's got the sovereign power over human hearts, he uses it to open our hearts to him. And that is good news for me. And it's good news when I think about the most hardened person I know, that God yeah. can soften their heart and transform their lives. He can do that for us. So that's encouraging to me. Yeah, that's good. So before we get into the shadows of Jesus, anything else you want to point out or wrestle with in those first 15 chapters? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of hard to get start even talking about those without jumping right into how they, how there's so many shadows because we're going to get into the the Passover. Yeah, so there. let's let's jump in. So okay. when I think about the shadows of Jesus, um, tell me how how does the the name I am mm-hmm. how's that a shadow of Jesus? Yeah. So well, Jesus will go on and like in the book of John, and he'll give these I am statements. How many? How seven? Sounds like a complete number to me. Poetic number there, and so we see we see Jesus echoing this I am, and and everybody was you know would get that. That's yeah, and it's really crazy in John eight when um, he's confronting some religious leaders and he says, before Abraham was, I am. Um, And people are like, Jesus never claimed to be God. Um, But what do the religious leaders do? Yeah. They pick up stones to stone him because they're like, you just claimed to be God. Yeah. So he didn't directly say, I am God. He, but he said, I am. Yeah. (laughs) So they got it. They totally got it. Yeah. So here's one that I've never seen until this time going through, which I thought was really interesting is what's the first plague? The blood, uh, the waters turned to blood. The Nile, the water turning to blood. Um, and what's Jesus' first miracle? Water into wine. Water into wine. And so so we know that when Jesus does the Last Supper, he gives them a glass of wine, symbolic of his this is my blood. blood. Um, but as the, the Nile turning to blood led to death, Jesus' water turning to wine shows that his blood will lead to life. So I love yeah. seeing even in the first plague foreshadowing Jesus. Yeah. What about the Passover lamb? How does that foreshadow yeah. Jesus? So yeah, I mean the, the per, these these lambs that are sacrificed and um and you know I I remember reading this in the Action Bible, a comic book Bible with my kids and it's it shows their blood being splattered on the lintel and the doorpost and so you see the blood on the wood. Yeah. And uh, and it was easy to flip forward, you know, to the back of the, the the Bible and go to Jesus's crucifixion and see him on the cross, and you see the blood on the wood, yeah. and how that the judgment would pass over. Because so everyone of the blood. who goes under the blood of the doorpost, their judgment they're protected. passes over. They're protected, and everyone who goes through or under the blood of the cross through. 
faith in Christ mm -hmm. will be protected. Yeah. So it's beautiful. Incredible. I love that. Like, I wonder how, I mean, there's so many lamb references in the, in the Bible, but when, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he's like, behold the, the lamb, lamb of God. God. Yeah. 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 What about crossing the Red Sea? Yeah. The Lord leads his people there. And, um, I, this is one of the verses that as I was reading through this time, you know, some of them just really pop. And, yeah. and I mark this one in Exodus 14, 13 through 14. Uh, it says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Yeah. Sounds like an elevation worship song. <laughs> um, yeah. So I love that. That's so, such a gospel rhythm that salvation is fully dependent on God. Nothing that we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love the passing through the Red Sea. It's just foreshadowing the effect of the cross, our freedom from slavery to sin. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they had freedom from their slavery to Egypt. Our, our slavery slavery from sin. Um, something I've never seen until this time through, which I was like, this is awesome, um, is when they get into the wilderness and they need water, the yeah, water's bitter. bitter right? and they're like, like, ah, I can't drink this stuff. And so um, he takes a log, throws it in, and the water becomes sweet. Mm -hmm. And seeing this connection between the bitter water reflecting our hearts, mm -hmm. that our hearts are, are, are hard, they're bitter towards, towards God, but it's the cross, mm -hmm. the wood, the log yeah. that transforms our hearts. And right after that water's transformed from bitter to sweet, they're then able to listen to the Lord and to follow the Lord's commands. And it's something about us. Like it's, it's not until the cross transforms our lives that we're truly able to listen to God mm -hmm. and to follow his commands. Mm -hmm. um, any other shadows of Jesus? Well, I, I think definitely in the, the song that they sing at the end, which I, I love that moment, they they've been delivered and then suddenly they just burst into this song and when you fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, so we're going from the beginning of the Bible here to the very end, in Revelation 15, uh, the, the John, is, he sees what appears to be a sea of glass with fire, and, uh, and he says, and he sees all these people, they're those who had conquered the beast and its image, and there beside the sea of glass, they had harps of God in their hands, and it says, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And they say, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love, um, obviously this isn't, isn't a shadow of Jesus, but it involves Jesus. Um, after that, Miriam saying to them. Mm -hmm. And what I think is so cool, if you open up um, a Greek um, Bible and you're looking at the, the gospel of John, when Jesus um, meets Mary in the garden and he says, Mary, mm -hmm. and she like, she like, I know that voice, but in the Greek, he actually says, Miriam. Mm. And mm. it's almost like he's saying like, he like an echo they, back to this. They've just been delivered. Yeah. From, from their slavery, and now she's got a song to sing. She's got a word. She's a prophetess. She has a word from God to give. Right. And here's here's Mary, and he's almost like saying, you've got a song to sing. You've been delivered, and you've got a message yeah. to say. And I love just like it's almost like this commissioning of, of Mary in that uh -huh. moment. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Connected to it. Great. Well, Bill, after this week, 
People are going to be jumping into chapter 16 through 40, the long haul. Mm-hmm. I will confess that when I have done Bible reading plans, I start to get bogged down for the first time in this, this section. In this sec- like this yeah. is where it's like, man, if you can push through this, it's almost like you know the grind. Uh-huh. And you can get through some other, some other long sections. But for yeah. some reason, there, there's some long chapters, like five chapters deep of just blueprints and so right um but help us understand what's going to be happening in these verses sure over these chapters 16 through 40 yeah so first of all you're going to see the journey to mount sinai they're going back to the mountain of the lord um and you're going to see how god provides there's there's manna there's water there's this incredible victory over the amalekites uh he gets a leadership lesson from his father-in-law jethro those are all Great stuff. Track with that. Then they come to Mount Sinai, and you're gonna you'll see where the Ten Commandments are given, followed with fifty two other laws, uh, yeah, all kind about of to further clarify what those ten are. Yeah, and they're all, you know all about worship you, and justice. not to put you on the spot. Yes, what are the first two? Of the, I uh, have to look them up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like have no other guy before. Oh, me. you're talking about the Ten Commandments. I thought you were talking about the fifty two. No, no, clarifying. No, and, and yeah. then ha- don't make. Yeah, no graven image. Don't make idols. No. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he promises the conquest of Canaan. I am going to give you this land. But then you get into that the challenging part, the instructions for the tabernacle, which the reason it's important is because that's where God's presence is going to dwell. And you actually, you'll meet the artisans who, can, who are going to put it all together. And it's the first mention of the Holy Spirit empowering a person. Oh, wow. Is to do the art stuff for yeah. this. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, Bezalel is one of those guys. And um, then the people are going to, they break the covenant. You get back into narrative there where they, with the whole incident with the golden calf. But then. In, the, in that moment, like Moses goes up on the mountain like, and they're, they're basically breaking the first two commandments. Yes, I know. So, I know. It's like, come on, guys. Um, but God is merciful, and he's going to renew the covenant with them. Um, but it is, as you're, as you're moving through this, it's, it can be a little challenging. It might be something where you'd want to use the audio version of, of the Bible. You can find that on the uh, version Bible app. And then it just kind of, because it, it keeps going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can just track it you know, as best you can. But I, I, cha- I challenge people as they're reading these blueprints of, and like, of the artisans, what they're doing is there's all these, these pieces um, of the tabernacle that are actually going to be symbolic mm-hmm. of the garden of Eden. Yeah. And so what, what did they, ex- what did Adam and Eve experience in its fullness in the garden of Eden? God's presence. God's presence. Yeah. And so that's, what's been lost. Mm-hmm. And now God's restoring that presence. So the, the tabernacle is going to end up being this like portable garden. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so I would challenge you as you're reading it, try mm-hmm. to pick out what imagery in the tabernacle is pointing us back to the Garden of Eden. That's good. That's yeah. good. It's, it's great. Anything else in these chapters to look for? That's. I think you've checked those, look for those places, and it's it's an incredible story. Yeah, and I, I love something that's really cool is when you see God's character when he talks to Moses, like how he is merciful, mm-hmm. um, that he's forgiving, but he's just. Mm-hmm. And so there's still consequences, which is going to, we're going to see the consequences of this as they end up wandering around the desert. Mm-hmm. For a really long time, right? Yeah, and I, as I was reading it, I, mm. I couldn't help but to think that that this feels like a Hallmark movie. Maybe not a Hallmark movie. The Hallmark movie is like the girl moves back and she's engaged, <laughs> but like a movie, it's like a chick flick. Like there's a damsel in distress, and uh-huh. she's like, she's like, I don't like where I'm at, and then God swoops in as the 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 groom, the husband, like the father, like the 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 dude figure. And he rescues her, and then they run off to the wilderness together, and now they're dating, and they're getting to know each other, and and then there's the rockiness of the relationship. you got to have conflict in a good story. Right. And then what happens, she's like, I wish I'd went back to my ex. Like, she's starting to, like, kind of 
fear of missing out. She's like, I, I wonder if my ex would have been better than him. Mm-hmm. And God, the whole time's like, just I just want her to love me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it I does. Want, yeah. I, want, like, I want you to trust me, and I want you to, to love me. And it's like yeah. it's almost this incredible love story. And really, that's the whole the whole Bible is a great love story. But we see that mm-hmm. playing itself out. I think just God's such a masterful storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's an invitation to worship. You know when. Uh, I thought about that. You, you notice when Moses says, "Let my people go, so they may come and worship me." Yeah, and that—that that was what he—they were being—they were going to go out into the wilderness to do to worship, and so as they are, um, you know, they're being brought out there. It, it reminded me of of Psalm ninety five, which is you know this famous call to worship: "Come, let us worship. Come, let us bow down." And then after this invitation to worship this amazing God, it says, "Don't harden your hearts, like they did in the wilderness." Yeah. Let's worship him. And so that as I, I, my prayer would be as we read this, that it would, you know, it, we'd be, feel that invitation to worship, to, this, to celebrate God's presence with us. And no, I don't want to harden my heart. I want it to be soft and, and I want to worship him. Yeah. So as we close out, um, you had some verses out of 1 Corinthians, I believe. I think it'd be worth oh. closing with those. Okay. Um, but when we come back next week, we're going to answer any questions you guys have in the second half of Exodus. Thank you guys for emailing some questions in this last time, but feel free to email us anything before next Wednesday. Um, we'd love to field some more questions for you guys in the back half of Exodus, and then we'll set up Leviticus. Um, but before we leave, Bill, why don't you close us out with yeah. this text? So if you look in Hebrews, you get some commentary in Hebrews 11 uh, as the writer looks back on these famous moments in the Old Testament. And this is how he writes about what we're reading in, in Exodus. It says in, this is chapter 11 and starting in verse 23. I said first Corinthians, I was way off. So he, <laughs> I, Hebrews, go for it. Oh, did you want to do the first Corinthians? We can do, no, just do this one. This would be great. Okay. There's, there's two places that were both good. Corinthians, this is written for our example. This is pretty good too. We'll close with this then. Yeah. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Yeah, that's good. All right, we'll be with you guys next week. Dig in, keep reading, and we'll see you soon.